Here we go. Job chapter 18. Bildad, one of Job's so-called three friends, is giving his opinion to Job about, well, Job, you just need to repent of the sin here because you're on your way out. But in Job 18, some of the things that he says, and I'm going to read verses 11 to 14, some of the things that he says... Um, the understanding of death that people have, the fear that death strikes to a lot of people. Verse 11 says, Terrible things startle him from every side. They chase him at every step. Hunger takes away his strength and disaster is at his side. Disease eats away parts of his skin. The signs of death begin to eat away at his arms and legs. The evil person is torn from the safety of his tent. He is dragged off to death, the king of terrors. The king of terrors. I am so glad that Jesus is raised from the dead. I am so glad that the gospel has brought life and immortality to light. I am glad that Jesus has conquered the grave. And I am glad that nobody in this room needs to fear death as the king of terrors. Jesus has tamed it. And now death is a servant in the hands of God. He has redeemed even death and makes it work for good. That's worth shouting about. The king of terrors, because, boy, if we listen to Job, uh, to Bildad speaking to Job, it's terrorizing. You're going to go home with nightmares tonight if I expound Job chapter 18 to you about their their thoughts of death. It's the kind of stuff that gives people sleepless nights. It's the kind of preaching, if you want a good hellfire and brimstone, and you're going to a lost eternity, there's lots of passages of Job that really would suit that purpose. And this is, this is one of them. Because, you see, the wicked are reserved, is reserved for, for death, and death already has overtaken them in their present existence. His conscience terrorizes him. In this passage, heaven frowns on him. Hell is gaping below for him and the earth is sick of him. He has no escape from the torment of his own guilty conscience. We try to run from the torment, but it's useless because you carry the voice of condemnation with you. You're already caught in the snare. You're dispirited. You're distracted with fear. You see the ruin approaching ahead of you. Disaster is already at your side. Disaster is ready to seize you whenever justice gives the word. Totally unable to grapple with it. You can't escape it. You can't bear it. Your strength, meaning your wealth, your friends, your power, it fails you in the time of need. You are hungry bitten, your strength could do no more for you than a famished man pining away from hunger could fight a war. The signs of death are already upon him. Strength is being devoured. Rottenness has entered into his bones. Your confidence, your soul is being ripped out of your decaying body which falls to the earth like a tree cumbers to the ground. This isn't that inspiring stuff. (laughs) That's Job 18 for you. While there's breath in the body, death pursues you. Death plagues you. Surrounded by terrors while you live, and and death is the king of those terrors. He terrorizes you while you live, and he draws you to that final face-to-face confrontation with the one who inflicted such terrors, the king of death himself. Finally, you get chased out of the world. You're dragged away by the messengers of death sorely against your will. 
The world is weary of you, chases you, and glad to get rid of you. And then you finally come to a face-to-face confrontation with the king of terrors. I'm so glad that Jesus is risen from the dead. What a miserable, bleak picture. What good preaching if you want to go hellfire and brimstone type of stuff, which a lot of the preachers took passages like this and years gone by and scared people into heaven with passages like this. Let's try to understand just a little bit for those who have no sense that Jesus is raised from the dead. What a hopeless existence they must have and how that hopelessness feeds through their entire life. You see, death in Scripture is pictured as a king. It says that death reigns. From the time of Adam, death rules and death reigns. As a king, death has authority over every person who has ever been born. It has become the master over humanity. Death was everywhere even before the law revealed any transgressions. Even back to Adam, the first man that created, it's recorded that he lived so many years and then he died. Right from the very beginning. And if you go through Genesis chapter 5, each of his sons and grandsons, and you work down the descendants, it all says, and they died. 1 Corinthians 15.26, that death is the enemy of mankind. Death is the enemy. It is a hateful adversary. It is a hostile foe. It has no respecter of persons. It will take the rich. It will take the powerful. It will take the poor. It will take the weak. It will take the young and it will take the old. And it doesn't care who it inflicts. And it doesn't care what kind of pain it leaves behind. The scripture talks about death as an enemy. The scripture talks about death as something that is inescapable. Psalm 89.48 says, What man is he that lives and will not see death? Shall he deliver his soul from the hand of the grave? Ecclesiastes 8 and verse 8 says that nobody has the power to hold on to your spirit. Nobody can retain the spirit when death comes for you. No matter how rich and how secure you might think you are in this life, you have no ability to hold on to your spirit when death comes for you. Death will come to the innocent. Death will come to the tyrant. It cannot be averted. You cannot resist it. It accepts no bribe. You are in a war with death and there is no furlough from it. You cannot excuse yourself. Everyone comes to that final conflict. The scripture talks about how death likes to go hunting. And the scripture is it's, it's likened to a hunter in Psalm 18 verses 4 to 5. Psalm 116 verse 3. Death is like a hunter. He's out trapping. He's out setting bait. He's after anybody who he can get. Death uses ropes. He uses nets. He surrounds his victims. He makes them afraid. He lays hold of them. Isaiah talks about death as spreading a veil over all the nations. Jeremiah talks about the craftiness of death sneaking in your windows and taking your children and your young people from you. Death is relentless. It says in the Song of Solomon, death is strong. Nobody can resist it. It says the grave is cruel. Does the grave ever give up its prey? Isaiah 28 says death never bargains. You can't cheat death. It never bargains with you. Sometimes we think we make a deal with the devil. I got news for you, he doesn't keep his deals. He doesn't bargain at all. It talks about death is always hungry. There's verses in Isaiah, there's verses in Habakkuk describe death as having a large mouth. Enlarges its desire. It's looking for victims. It greedily and continuously demands human flesh for consumption. I'm so glad that Jesus is risen from the dead because this is one bleak picture. 
But I want you to understand, it's a bleak picture for those who don't know the Lord, and there's a world out there who doesn't know the Lord, and they live with this mindset. We have to remember the absolute hopelessness of people who don't know the Lord, and they don't understand that death has been defeated. And they live with this hopeless mindset. Who can blame the sinner for medicating his sorrows with alcohol when you've got this kind of a mindset? Not that we say you should do that, but I can't find a license to convict somebody who has to medicate their pain because they live in such a hopeless mindset. Death is heartless. It doesn't listen to appeals. You don't argue with it. Death is resistless. No matter battalions, no matter castles, no matter how many fortresses you build, they're nothing before death. Death is universal. It doesn't care who it takes. Anyone and everyone, regardless of their status. Death is ever active. The book of Revelation, chapter 6, verse 8, describes death on a horse, riding alongside of hell throughout the whole earth, seeking for victims. And the Bible announces that every one of us have a date with it. Hebrews 9.27 It is destined unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. If death ends everything, then what life is worthless. Life is futile. Ecclesiastes 1 verse 2 says, Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. If death ends everything, no matter if you're good or you're bad, if death is a level, a killing field that levels everybody to the same thing, then there's no meaning in life. Life will soon pass away like a vapor, it's like a bubble that will burst. It means life is insignificant, it means life is worthless, it means life is transient, it means it's unsatisfying, it means life is frail. It means life is empty and life is fruitless. Is fleeting, it's fading away, and it has no value and can be easily discarded. The world lives with that mindset. The whole of life is overcast with fear of death. Life becomes a prison, and people are held in slavery through the fear of death. Hebrews 2 14 and 15 says people live in fear of death. Life is lived trying to ward off the ultimate date that we have with death. It's terrorizing, and that terror gives advantage to Satan. If death wins in the end, then what's the use of trying to live a moral and clean life? It makes no difference. If death is the same result for the person who lives clean and for the most wicked sinner, if they all have the same end, then why bother? Why bother fighting Why bother trying to be moral? Why bother trying to be righteous? Why not do we just eat, drink, and be merry? For tomorrow we die. There's no reason for self-control if death ends everything. There's no reason for honesty. There's no reason to be pure and to strive for purity in relationships. You might as well medicate yourself with every sin you like that bring you a sense of comfort because there is no rhyme and there is no reason to life. All is vanity, all is worthless, and all is meaningless. Don't bother being concerned about others who are less fortunate because they're all going to die anyway. So while we can, you might as well make things as comfortable as possible for yourself because it's the only comfort you will ever have. So you can say to your soul, Soul, you've got many goods laid up for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. And don't be overly concerned about anybody else. Who wants to get old anyway? Who wants to get old? Because according to Ecclesiastes 12, 1-7, getting old is a real pain. Uh, this terrible description of people who are old without any quality of life is given in Ecclesiastes 12. Old age is nothing but an encroaching storm where you have a dreaded existence without any ability to enjoy life anymore. It's just pain every day and you yearn to be free from it.
I'm sure glad Jesus is risen from the dead. How many think I should change the tone of this message? (laughs) This is getting bleak, isn't it? I'm getting deeper. Hey, the deeper I dig this hole, the greater the glory when Jesus comes out of it. Amen. But it's true. Now, you and I can laugh at it, but we've got to appreciate the world out there lives like this. We can laugh at it. But there are people out there who don't laugh at it because this is reality and this is where they live. They need to know that Jesus is risen from the dead. They need to know that death has been defeated. Because without that knowledge, life is hopeless. It is completely hopeless. Where does death get its power? Well, you know, or, you know, it gets its power from sin. Death and sin are related. What is death? When somebody dies, what happens? Genesis 2, 7, it says, God formed man from the dust of the ground, his physical body, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. The body is material, it's physical. The soul or the spirit is the breath of God in a person. Physical death is when the body and the soul separate. James chapter 2.26, as the body without the spirit is dead. Ecclesiastes 8 verse 8, nobody has the power to hold their spirit back in the day of death. What happens at death is the physical body returns back to the dust of the ground. Ecclesiastes 12.7, it says in the spirit, returns back to God who gave it. That's what death is. But where does death get its authority? The answer is very, very simple. Where it gets its authority is death is the fruit of sin. In the day you eat of it, God said to Adam and Eve, in the day you eat of it, when you disobey the command, you will surely die. James 1.15 would say this, that when sin is finished, it brings forth death. If you want to conquer death, you have to conquer sin. Because death is the fruit of the tree of which sin is the root. You don't just pick the fruit because next year it grows again. You've got to destroy the tree. And to overcome death, sin has to be defeated because death is the fruit of sin. Romans 5.12, sin entered the world and death entered because of sin. Romans 5.21, sin reigns unto death. Romans 6.21, the end of those things is death. Death hurts. There's a sting to death. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 56, it says, The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But I've got good news for you. Jesus has removed the sting out of it. But the world doesn't know that. And for those who don't know the Lord, death is stingful. It's bitter experience. Hard experience. You see, death brings with it the consciousness of your mortality. It brings with it the consciousness of an absolute wasted life of no value. Death brings with it a consciousness of the sinfulness that people have lived in and they die with that on their conscience. The law has magnified that sin and making it sting to people. All the more penetrating. The gold is sharp, it's penetrating, and people die with a sense of guilt. It stings. People die hurting. Sin is likened to, in Romans 6, an employer that pays wages. You give yourselves over to this employer... And when he finishes, he pays the wages. But the wages are death. This is a bleak picture, isn't it? Why do I emphasize the bleakness of this whole thing? Why am I going over this quickly instead of meditating on these statements? Because we need to appreciate people outside the church live like this. Hopeless, 
existence. Why? Because death wins at the end of their life. Is there any hope? Is there any release? Has anybody ever escaped the trap of death? Has there ever been any victory in the constant battle with death? Well, the Bible does give a few hints. As early as Genesis 5, when it says, And Adam died, and Seth died, and and they all died. There's one who didn't. Enoch. By faith. Enoch was translated that he should not see death. There's a man by the name of Elijah who sat under a juniper tree and said, It is enough, Lord, take my life. And he asked to die. He was in such a depression that God had just not pulled through the way he thought God should pull through when it came to Jezebel and Baalism in the land. And he thought he should die. He wanted to die. Little did he know that he would never see death. But instead a chariot of fire will come and just translate him into the heavens. So there were some hints. There's also some hints in the scripture that some people were resuscitated back to life. And I'm going to use the word resuscitate instead of the word resurrection because there's a difference. Some people were resuscitated. There was a gift of of faith that actually saw people raised from the dead. Elijah, the widow woman, son, died. And the Bible says he prayed and his soul came back into him again. That soul that had departed had come back into him. And the widow's son was raised from the dead. Elisha also raised someone from the dead. But the problem is, is those were resuscitations. These people were raised from the dead only back to their mortal life. And they eventually died again. And they left this earth. And death still won, even though they were raised from the dead. Something more is needed. When Jesus, on the days of his flesh, we have three records of him raising people from the dead. There's the story of the daughter of Jairus. Which means that Jesus got there within minutes or hours of her passing. But the Bible says that her spirit returned. And Jesus has authority over death. If death happened just a few minutes ago, a few hours ago, Jesus could raise that person from the dead. Or there's the story of the the widow of Nain, an only son that she had. And this time the funeral procession was going on. And he interrupts the funeral procession and he could raise the dead. He can go to the story of Lazarus. The funeral procession is over. Four days in the tomb. And he raises the dead. He has the ability to raise the dead no matter how long ago you died. That's good news. Um, But the problem with all these stories is that they all died again. And they were raised only back to mortality where they still lost the battle with death later. There is an answer. This is the good news part. There is an answer. Isaiah announced it in chapter 25. Let me read Isaiah 25 to you. Here's the announcement. Chapter 25, verse number 8. He will swallow up Death in victory. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from off their all faces. And the rebuke of his people shall he take away from off all the earth. For the Lord has spoken it. There's good news. The Lord will swallow up death in victory. This whole bleak thing I just told you. Forget about it. Forget about it. He will swallow up death in victory. That means that death that dogs man's footsteps and darkens your days with dread and fear is going to be abolished. 
This is a momentous announcement that death is going to disappear and death will cease to be a possibility. Come on. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10. It says, Life and immortality have been brought to light through the gospel. The gospel abolishes death. It means that death is reduced to inactivity. Death is reduced to something of no effect. And death is reduced as to something that is useless. Now you could get excited about that. You could be happy. So I'll say that again. Because I want to make sure you're getting the point here. That the gospel abolishes and turns around this totally bleak and hopeless situation I just gave you. The gospel abolishes it. It reduces death to inactivity. It makes death of no effect. And it makes it useless in its ability to terrorize you. Just in case you didn't hear. You and I need to appreciate what it means to be saved. What it means to know that Jesus is risen from the dead. And what it means to be free from slavery that is a result of fearing death. Hallelujah. Death has been abolished by the gospel. In case you didn't hear it, it has been reduced to inactivity. It is made of no effect and it is rendered useless. When Jesus was on this earth for three years... Death had to kneel before him. The weapon of sickness that causes people to die bowed its knee before Jesus. The weapon of hunger that causes people to die bowed its knee before Jesus. He could multiply the bread. The weapon of storms that takes people's lives bowed the knee as Jesus said, Peace, be still. Every weapon that death uses was conquered in the three years of Jesus. Demonstrated his ability to take over the power of death. And then he makes this announcement in John 5. That those in the grave will hear his voice. And they will come forward. This is good news, church. This is good news. Jesus came to defeat death. That's why he assumed a human body. He took on flesh and blood so he could be culpable to death, so he could experience death. He pre-announced to his disciples, they're going to kill me. And he made a decision to walk towards Jerusalem, knowing what was going to go there. He was going to take death on face to face. He was going to do it face to face. But the interesting thing is death couldn't take him. Because it had no authority, because death is the fruit of sin. Jesus never sinned, and it had no ability to take the life of Jesus whatsoever. So Jesus had to make the announcement. He says, no man takes my life from me. I have to give it. If I'm going to die, I have to give it. Listen, nobody forced Jesus to die. Jesus did not die against his will. The Bible says, no man takes my life from me. I lay it down of myself. He defeated sin by his perfectly obedient life. And then when he offered a sinless life in obedience to God on the cross, he stripped death of its authority. He has stripped death of its authority. And because he was sinless, death, he gave himself the death, but death didn't know what to do with him. Couldn't hold him. There was no sin that gave death the power to hold Jesus. So after the redemption, the price of redemption was paid by his sinless offering on the cross, God raised him from the dead. Romans 1, 3, 4 says he was declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. Please understand, Jesus was not resuscitated like the rest. 
he was resurrected. And there is a difference. He was not resuscitated back to mortal life. He was resurrected to a glorified existence. The Bible says in Romans 6 verse 9, He was resurrected to die no more. Death has no more dominion over him. He was not resuscitated. He was raised. More than that, he was raised up. Which meant he went from the grave and he exchanged the grave for a higher place, high above all principalities and powers, above every name that could be named, both in this world and in the which that which is to come. He has been raised to a glorified position. Death has been defeated. Life is worthwhile. Life does have meaning. It does have rhythm and it does rhyme. The king of terrors has been stripped of its power to enslave, of its power to manipulate, and its power to create fear. Satan has just lost the advantage. Jesus said in Revelation 1.18, I am he that lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of hell, and I have the keys of death. He's won the war. And you know what that means? That means after the battle is finished, you and I go get to collect the spoils. Can I tell you some of the spoils that you can collect? You just might get excited. You just might get excited. Some of the spoils. His resurrection from the dead is the guarantee of your physical resurrection at the coming of Jesus. Hey, we heard about someone this morning. She will. Be raised. You will be raised. I will be raised. Death that used to be a terrorizing threat that made life worthless. Philippians 1 verses 20 to 23. For me to live is Christ. And to die is... What is it? Gain. That's hardly terrorizing, is it? To die is gain. I like this scripture in 1 Corinthians 3, 21 to 23. Listen to this. Death is in the hands of a sovereign God, and he administered to it, to his people, as a gift. Death is a gift from God. Listen to 1 Corinthians 3, 21 to 23. All things are yours. Whether it's Paul or Apollos, or Cephas, or the world, or life, or death, or things present, or things to come, all are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. Death is a gift to the believer. You see, death now serves as the right of way between the present and things to come. Death is entrance into immortality. Death delivers the believer from present struggle and it becomes a servant. It becomes your servant and it becomes your friend. Death releases you from pain. It releases you from turmoil. The former tyranny is now your birthright, summoning you to Christ. The fear of death has been removed. The fear of death has been removed. That through death he, Christ, might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. You can now say with the psalmist, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. To die is to be with the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5.8 To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. 
And since death is not the end of the story, have I ever told you that the end of the story is not death, it's glory? Do we understand that? Death is not the end of the story. And if we understand that, that means that you can start living for something of greater value than your own life. You can yield your life up to something for a greater cause. Romans 12:11 says they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony and they loved not their lives unto death there are things worth dying for and it doesn't matter because death is not the end of the story the resurrection is the end of the story and if you know that there's things worth dying for because death is not the end Romans 14.8 says, Whether you live or whether you die, you are the Lord's. If you live, you live unto the Lord. If we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live therefore or die, we are the Lord's. When a believer dies, it says in Psalm 116.15, Precious. Precious. Where's God? I'll tell you where He is. Precious. In the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. God delights in the whole life from beginning to end. The saints are dear to Him. So while we live, while we're still in this body, you and I can have an attitude of, of, of um, overcoming death. I have the confidence from Scripture that I will live until my work is finished. Unless I walk away from the Lord or something. I do have that confidence. I will live and not die and shall declare the works of the Lord, the psalmist does. As long as he has something for me to declare, take an airplane ride with me, it's going to be safe. (laughs) It's going to be safe. Death didn't take Jesus until Jesus yielded himself. I want you to understand, death didn't take Peter until his time. Death tried to take Peter. You remember in John chapter 21, where, what about, I'm going to die, you know, what about him? It was that you just follow me. Uh, but there was a prophecy that Jesus gave to Peter telling what kind of death he would die. You know, they're going to take where you don't want to go. You're going to spread your hands there. You're going to be crucified, Peter, upside down at that. Uh, now, that's interesting because in Acts chapter 12, they're going to try to behead him. I don't know if this is he just liked to sleep or he had great faith. But I, if I thought you're coming to take my head off tomorrow, I might not sleep so well the night before. He was in a deep sleep and an angel has to come and have to wake him up out of this deep sleep. Maybe he just knew that's not how Jesus said he was going to die. So let me get a good rest here. I don't know, but he didn't, go, he didn't die until he says in Second Peter, it's now time for me to put off my tabernacle. Paul the Apostle could say in Second Timothy, now the time of my departure is at hand. But all through his life, he was in death often. He had stones on his life, plots against his life. But... His time of his departure wasn't then. I can live my life full of days with purpose and with meaning. You and I can have this attitude of triumph. Now, I like this one. I li- listen, to, listen to this. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 51 to 57. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. But we shall all be changed in a moment in a twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed for this corruptible must put on incorruption this mortal must put on immortality so when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality then shall be brought to pass that saying that is written death is swallowed up in victory Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, hell, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord 
Jesus Christ. I got this picture of, of Paul. What do you call that sword? They're fencing. He's got the sword and death has got the other one over there and they're battling this. He says, come on death, do you? Come on death. I got resurrection on my side. He said, the sting has been removed. There's not even any point on the end of your sword anymore. The sting has been removed. Death, the sting has been detoxicated. The venom of hopelessness is gone. The bitterness of its connection with sin is overturned. There is joy in the triumph of the believer. The victim has become the victor. Death does not have the last word. So I can mock death. I can taunt it and I can deride it. I can just, he pauses that. Kill me. This corruption is going to put in corruption. Take my life. This mortal is going to put on immortality. Take that death and take that death and take that death. Thanks be unto God who gives me the victory. And he gets so excited. He's beside himself that Jesus is raised from the dead. We can die the death of the righteous. Now I want to share, just give me a few more minutes, some pastoral reflections on this kind of stuff. I've learned over the years that God has a perspective that you and I don't have. That God can see things that you and I don't necessarily see. How must God answer our prayers. I've discovered over the years that God answers our prayers on a different level than our expectations. We don't see what God sees. I will read Hebrews 11, verses 4 and 5, about faith. Two men, one by the name of Abel, one by the name of Enoch. It says, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaks. By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death, and was not found because God had translated him, for before his translation he had this testimony that he pleased God. One by faith dies, one by faith doesn't see death. What is faith? You've heard me speak off and on testimonies here and there. My own acquaintances with the people that I grew up with and the circle of ministry that I was mentored in, I was exposed to extremely powerful Pentecost. Very powerful. I am accustomed, I grew up accustomed to the gifts of the Holy Spirit in powerful price that people who operated gifts of the spirit and they paid the price in prayer and in seeking God to see some sovereign moves of the power of God I'm not exaggerating but those people that I were acquainted with three people raised from the dead in their ministries that sounds incredible but it's not incredible Why should we be surprised that God could raise the dead? Jesus did it. He told his disciples to do it. And I've come across people who God has anointed with such great faith. So, I believe in the power of God. A lot of modern teaching that we hear about faith and about healing comes across like this. We can have healing on demand. The teaching suggests that God is obligated to heal because it is claimed that his word teaches that it is his will to physically heal at all times and in every instance. And so we can actually box God into a corner and we can make demands on him to perform. And a lot of teaching on faith and a lot of teaching on healing has that impression. This mindset refuses to acknowledge that God can be glorified in other ways besides outer deliverance. 
Scripture assures us that even death can glorify God. John 21:19. By what death he should glorify God. And what happens with a lot of this teaching, it turns the supernatural power of God into comfort for the believer, so the believer can escape the consequences and the conditions of life. And we're not using the power of God as signs to unbelievers. We're more concerned about our own comfort. And there needs to be a proper theology about healing and a proper theology about faith that gets the balance between the truth of God's word and pastoral concerns for sure. Abel, what we just read about here, listen to this. He suffered and there was no deliverance for him. And he died by faith. No deliverance for Abel in this. You and I can have internal victory in our souls without any change in outer circumstances. Contrary to human reasoning, this is often the choice. Now listen to this. This is often the choice of godly people who in the midst of fiery trial experience such a divine presence of God that they stop seeking deliverance from the trial because they love the presence they experience. I don't want deliverance from the trial. The presence of the Lord is too precious. The sense of God's grace is so powerful to them that they only end up seeking the presence of the Lord and they yearn for more of His presence and they don't want release from the trial. They become homesick for the Lord. That, my friend, is victory. I'll say that again. That is victory. Where you are so consumed with Jesus and the presence of the Lord that you don't even think about the trial as difficult as it might be. That's Abel. That's one side of faith. Enoch is the other side of faith is that great miracles happened in the outer circumstances. Healings, miracles, signs and wonders. Great deliverance. The fact is, for most of us, the life of faith is a mixture of those things. Abraham suffered his whole life, lived as an alien in the land of promise, but he experienced the power of God and Isaac was born. Moses saw the great Exodus story, the display of power, but Moses endured suffering his whole life. He endured the wrath of the king. In Acts chapter 12, can you explain to me why James is martyred but Peter is not? Can we explain that to me? Years ago, I'm talking over 30 years ago when Darla and I were pastoring in Canada, there were two people sick at the same time. One a brain tumor, one leukemia. And I remember praying on a Sunday morning for these people. And the Lord gave me a vision. I'm not a person given the visions, but the Lord gave me a vision. And I didn't share it, except privately after. I saw one on a table get up and walk away. I saw a chariot of fire come for another one and take them up. One did go through an operation and walked away from it and went back to life. The other did die. But the thing is, the person who did die was a, somewhat of an elderly person and yet surrounded by people who says, no, God doesn't ever, it's not right, you're not going to let the devil win. No, we're going to believe God, you're going to be raised and don't even think any different. And it was strong, extreme faith type of teaching. Not going to let this person die. But that's not the vision I had. And I went to his wife and I said, I know you're surrounded by these people. I know you're bombarded with it. But I'm your pastor. And I'm telling you what I saw. I saw your husband go home. When he did pass away, she phoned me. I said, thank you. 
for telling me. Otherwise, I would have been destroyed by this. Thank you for telling me. Why one was healed and one wasn't, I don't know. But I do know this, that some die by faith and some are delivered by faith. But it's all by faith. That I do know. My own personal memory, as was shared today, what Angela went through reminded me very much of what Darla went through 11 years. We've lived that same story. We've been there. Except Darla came through. She's alive and well, as you can obviously know that. But she went through the whole same scenario 11 years ago. So when I first met Angela, it reminded me very much of our own personal experience. And I do remember my last visit with Angela, with Stephen and Simone. And it's there in my mind. I purposely walked out and tried not to look back because I wanted the last memory of somebody with their hands in the air worshiping the Lord. And the fact is, as you have heard today, the absolute sense of triumph in the soul. Did God answer our prayers? Did God hear our prayers? Or did we fail in faith? Well, he would have had faith, something else would have happened. No, no. I'm here to announce that God answered our prayers. There was such divine witness of the Spirit of God answering prayer. Such overwhelming sense of God's presence as we prayed. And Angela experienced such overwhelming presence of the Lord. She didn't want to come home. She got homesick for the Lord because she experienced such a divine presence of the Lord. Her victory is proof of the triumph of God's power. God heard and God answered our prayers in a very real and powerful manner. And the power of the grace that was revealed in her soul, believe you me, is a much greater miracle than the raising of the body. That time with the Lord is precious. Very, very precious. As a pastor, people go through situations. They just give us a pat answer. I, I wish life was that simple. No, we got to hear from the Lord on every circumstance. we got to hear from the Lord in every situation. We don't have formulas. We have a God who will speak to us. And God will speak. But I've got good news for you. Death, the king of terrors, has been stripped of his authority. And death is now a sovereign gift in the hands of God. Makes life worth living. Hallelujah.